The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Welcome to Ambassador Baptist Church this morning as we continue our sermon series entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? We're going through a verse-by-verse study through the portion of the Bible that we call Ephesians, looking at our identity in Christ. If you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter number one for our scripture reading this morning and stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter number one. We'll read verses 15 down through verse number 19. The verses will also be up on the screens that you can follow along there. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number one, starting in verse number 15, wherefore I also, after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. I want you to notice that phrase, being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of his glory, of his inheritance and the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us words who believe according to the working of his mighty power. This morning, pastor is going to bring a message entitled, I am enlightened. Over the Christmas holidays, um, I was walking through the lobby area and in the guest services, I noticed some type of a Christmas basket of sorts and uh, they kind of seemed to go along here and there and being given to different places and uh, I noticed in this particular basket there was all types of Christmas goodies, you know, the fudge and the Christmas cookies and all the different Christmas sweets and treats. And it was a Monday and I thought, man, I I wonder whose this is. You know, I was a little curious about it all, couldn't quite figure it out. And I figured, well, it's not mine, so I probably uh, probably shouldn't steal any of it right now, so I just let it be. But every time I walked through the lobby, I'd see that basket of all these goodies. And literally every time I walked by, it got a little more difficult for me to contain myself. The aromas of the cookies, the hunger that was inside of me. And I mean, by Thursday or Friday, I'm just like, man, I, I, obviously this is nobody's food. So what would it matter if I took a little of it, you know? But uh, as a good pastor, I tried to refrain and I, I just left it there. And so the whole week went by, I didn't touch it, didn't mess with it or anything. And the next Sunday, I was in the lobby, and Joyce Izzard runs up to me, and she said, Pastor, why haven't you taken your Christmas basket home that I gave to you? And I said, Joyce, I had no idea that you had given it to me. And she says, I told you last Sunday on my way out that it was yours and that you needed to grab it and take it home. And like in that moment, it dawned on me, for this whole week, it was mine. (laughs) At any moment, I could have taken one of those cookies. I could eat in that fight. It was, it, was, it was my possession. It belonged to me, and I didn't even know it. That's kind of what's happening in this passage that was just read a moment ago. The Apostle Paul has written this letter to the church at Ephesus, and he starts this section of the passage by saying, I'm praying for you. He says, and what I'm going to pray is that you become enlightened, that you come to a place where you understand what your possessions now are because of your position in Christ. And and in his prayer, in the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, he prays that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened so they would recognize that there are three possessions that are already theirs. 
It has already been given to them, and they could already be experiencing the joy and the pleasure of those possessions if they only realized that it already belonged to them in Christ. Let's begin reading here as we make our way through this text. Notice what the Bible says. He says, I'm making mention of you in my prayers. That's the end of verse 16. Then verse 17, he says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. I want to park it right there for just a moment. A lot of individuals struggle with understanding what wisdom is. Wisdom is not the same as knowledge, all right? Knowledge are facts. Knowledge is information. Knowledge is details. Wisdom is a much different thing. Wisdom is the practical, functional, outflowing of knowledge. So a person with wisdom doesn't just know it academically. A person with wisdom doesn't just understand it cognitively. A person of knowledge just doesn't realize it intellectually. A person of wisdom, yes, they understand it cognitively and and academically, but it goes further than that. They functionally, practically know how to live it out in their daily lives. And that's what the Apostle Paul is praying here. He's saying, I don't want you just to know this. I don't want you to just understand this. I don't want you to just have some academic informational level of understanding of this thing. He says, I want you to go deeper. I want you to have a functional, practical, outflowing, working. I want this thing to be able to live through you. I want, you to be, I want it to be your experience in Christ. You see, knowledge that is merely academic is not enough in the Christian life. There are a lot of believers that come to church and literally they believe if they get some new information then that's what it's all about. Sometimes people walk out and say, Pastor, I learned something today, and I'm glad for that, but that's not what it's ultimately all about. I'm glad if you learn something new from the Bible. I'm glad if you learn some little nugget of truth, but the reality is that's not really what it's about. That's a a part of it. it. You can't get to wisdom without knowledge, but wisdom is so much more than knowledge. It's the functional, practical outflowing of this in our daily lives. So what is it that God wants us to know about himself from this passage? This morning, we're going to look at three possessions mentioned in verses 17 and 18 down through verse number 23 that are already ours based on our position in Christ. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you have placed your faith in him and him alone, to be the, the savior of your soul, then the Bible says these possessions are automatically yours the moment you are placed positionally in the person of Christ. The sad reality is there are maybe even people in this room, these possessions are yours, and you don't even know it. You're not experiencing them in your daily life because you don't even know that these gifts belong to you, that they are yours. And that's what we're going to focus on a little bit today. Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt utterly hopeless? Something happened at your job and it just, you felt insecure about it. Maybe you got a phone call from the doctor and all of a sudden they begin to tentatively tell you uh, that the tests aren't looking so good. And all of a sudden your heart just begins to sink and, and hopelessness begins to set in. Maybe you have a conversation with your child and 
And that conversation reveals some things that you weren't aware of. And all of a sudden, your heart begins to sink. And there's a, there's a sense of hopelessness that begins to just kind of well into your heart. Maybe you're going through your bank statements, looking at the bank account records, and you're realizing, oh my, oh, we're in trouble. And a sense of hopelessness begins to just grip you down to your very core. I want to remind you today, based on the authority that we're going to find in this passage, that in Christ, you can live hopeful. Notice what verse number 18 says here. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. Notice that little phrase. Paul says, I'm praying for you, church at Ephesus. I want you to know that you have hope. I know you're surrounded by all kinds of paganism. I know you're the minority in your city. I know people are out to destroy your reputation. I know they're trying to destroy your businesses. I know they're trying to destroy your testimony. And I know how hopeless it feels. But I want to encourage you that in Christ, you always have reason to hope because of what you have in him. He says, I I want you to know the hope of his calling. What does that mean? The hope of his calling. The Bible says this, that when you were saved, you were called out of darkness into his glorious light. That's his calling. He called you out of that. And the apostle Paul is saying, when he called you out of that life, he gave you an incredible hope that will never leave you nor never forsake you. My friend, there is always reason to hope in Christ, which brings us to our first reminder this morning. If you're taking notes in your Bible study guide, I want you to see this. In Christ, we can know our hope. Know your hope in Christ. Some of you might be familiar with the character by the name of Viktor Frankl. Uh, he lived in Germany during uh, the Holocaust, and uh, he was placed into a concentration camp. I've, I've told his story before, and I won't prolong it this, this morning, but he went through some terrible, awful atrocities. It was just, it was just incredibly horrible. They stripped him of all of his possessions. They literally stripped him of his clothes. His family was ripped away from him, and he was placed in a concentration camp. And it was a few weeks into that concentration camp that Victor had an epiphany. And he thought to himself, they can take away my possessions. They can take away even my family. Man, they can even take away my health. But there's one thing they cannot take away from me. And that is my ability to choose the attitude that I will have in the midst of those things. And in his autobiography, Victor said this. He said, it is my observation that the ones who were more likely to survive these horrible times were the ones who never lost hope. For when a person lost hope, he was as a dead man walking. Somebody once said, <laughs> you can go about 40 days without food. You can go a limited time without water. You can go a, a few minutes without air, but you can't hardly go a few seconds without hope. 
Hope is so important, but where does that come from? You may, you may be looking around right now and you may be looking at your circumstances and your circumstances may not be giving you reasons to hope this morning. You may be looking at your finances and your finances may not be giving you reasons to hope this morning. You may be looking at your job situation and your job situation may not be giving you reason to, to really hope this morning. You may look at your surroundings and, and those surroundings may not be giving you reasons to hope this morning. You might look at your immediate family or you might be looking at your spouse or your marriage and your marriage might not be giving you a whole lot of reason to, to hope this morning. You, you might look at your skill sets and your talents and your abilities and, and in the unchanging job market and you might be thinking to yourself, I, I don't really have a whole lot of reason to hope this morning. You, you might look at your neighborhood and kind of see where it's going and it might not give you very much reason to, to have a lot of hope and you might look at the next generation of, of coming up and you might be looking at yourself, what hope does America have? What hope does our future have? As you see the next generation rising up and the next generation might not be giving you a whole lot of reason to hope and you might be looking at your own future and, and that future may not be giving you a whole uh, big reason to hope. It, it, maybe it's the political landscape and as you turn on the news and watch CNN, that political landscape is not giving you a whole lot of reason to hope today and, and maybe it's the education system and you're seeing some of the issues there and even with good people in it you're kind of concerned about what our future holds and and maybe it's not giving you a whole lot of reason to hope and you might be looking at the global instability that's happening politically and nationally and as you peer into that it's not giving your heart a whole lot of reason to hope and you might be looking at the ballooning racial divide that seems to be taking place in the world in which we live and it's just causing your heart to falter a little bit it's not giving you a whole lot of reason to hope you're looking at the financial markets and the dow jones and it's not giving your heart a whole lot of reason to hope but I want to say to you this morning that in Christ in him there is always reason to hope and that's what Paul wanted these people to understand hey I realize that your surroundings aren't going to give you a lot of reason to hope I realize that the paganism that exists in your world is not going to give you a whole lot of reason to hope I, I realize that so much of the atrocities that exist in your world aren't going to give you a reason to hope and Paul says but I'm praying for you I'm praying that you would be enlightened that you with wisdom, functional, experiential, practical wisdom, you, you'd know this thing deep in your soul because you've experienced it for yourself, that you would know that there's hope. And that in Christ, there is always reason to hope in him. This is why the psalmist could boldly declare, Psalms 38 verse 15, for in thee, O Lord, do I hope. The psalmist wasn't looking to the political spectrum to give him hope. The, the, the psalmist wasn't looking to the financial stability to give him hope. He wasn't looking toward his ability to control the future to give him hope. He says, it is in thee and thee alone that my hope fully rests. And if you're here today and maybe your marriage seems to be on the rocks and maybe you're here today and your health is on the rocks, stop looking to those things to provide your future a sense of hope. But look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, for it is in him and him alone that your hope ultimately rests. It's in him. My friend, if you are God's child, your hope rests in the fact, this is beautiful, that nothing you face will be greater than the grace you've already received. Nothing in your future is greater than the grace he gave you in the past. 
What a wonderful promise. I don't know if they'll throw this on the screens or not, but I want you to just kind of ponder it in your own heart. Hope, in its truest definition, means hoping when things are hopeless. Or it is actually no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope truly begins to be a strength. If you have no reason to hope, if everything's going good, then what's the point of hope? True hope finds its value and worth when circumstances in and of themselves seem hopeless. That's where hope gains its strength. Like Paul, I'm praying for the Ambassador Baptist Church. As your pastor, I'm praying that our eyes would be opened and that we would truly understand and know the hope that is already ours in Christ. If you felt hopeless this week, I want to declare to you, you don't have to be hopeless anymore. You don't have to live under the weight of hopelessness because in Christ, he's given you hope. The hope was given to you at the moment of your calling when he called you out of darkness into his glorious light. He gave you a hope that would never fade away and your hope is in Jesus. But let's move on. Notice verse 18. That ye may know the spirit of wisdom, a practical, functional understanding, what is the hope of his calling, notice this, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. All right? So this is the second thing the Apostle Paul was praying that these people in Ephesus would truly understand. He says, I, I, want, you to, I want you to understand, I want you to know what are the riches of of his inheritance in the saints. You say, Pastor, if I remember correctly, you already preached about this last week. You already preached to us about our inheritance in Christ. You already told us what we receive because we're in Christ and Christ alone. Then you misunderstood what this passage was saying. It didn't say what our inheritance was. Read it carefully. What the riches of whose inheritance his inheritance his inheritance in the what in the saints this is crazy i want you to get this for a moment okay paul is praying he says church i want you to see this I want you to true. I, I want you to understand, not just intellectually, not just academically. He says, you got to experience this. You got you to feel this deep in your soul. You got to functionally, practically understand this, that there is riches. Where's the riches located? Where are those riches? Where is that value at? And Paul says the riches, the value is in God's inheritance. What's his inheritance? The saints. You are God's inheritance. You are his riches. You are what he finds his value in. There's a lot of other passages that talk about this. Psalms chapter 28 verse 9 says, his psalmist says, save your people and bless your inheritance. 
Psalm 32, verse 12, we often quote the beginning of this verse, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's, that's a wonderful truth. But then notice what the rest of the verse says, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Here's what I want you to understand. You, as a believer, you, as one in Christ, you, we, as his people, we're his inheritance. We're his riches. We're the things he places the most value in. Oh, he looks at his world, the beauty of it that he created. He looks at the universe that he flung into existence. The vast animal kingdom that was breathed life into him. And he looks at all those things and he says, no, it's not in those things I found the value. It's not in those things that I find important and riches. He says it's in those people that I've called, in those people that I've chosen. We as the church, we are his inheritance. It is I, it is you, it is us. Have you ever felt worthless? Like your life had no value? Like if you were just to die, it wouldn't even matter? Like no one would care? Like your life has no significance, no purpose, no reason? And I, I want to say to you today simply this. Based on the authority of the word of God, you are valuable in Christ. In fact, you are so valuable to God. You are so important to God that as he looked around, he would, was willing to give everything for you. There was nothing that he would hold back to purchase you with. And rather than spend all the gold on planet earth or all the rubies and riches that exist in the minds of the world, he found something even more valuable, his son. And he allowed his son to come to an old rugged cross to bleed, to die, to sacrifice himself so that he could redeem, he could buy you back. That is how important and valuable to, you are to God. He made you valuable in Christ. Stop walking around like you're worthless because in Christ you're valuable. Your value has been imputed into you by Christ's life, death, and resurrection. You are valuable in Christ. Now if you now, if you're here today and you struggle with that, this is why we want to pray for you. Is this, is, this what, is this your experience? Is this functional and practical for you? Or do you tend to live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, walking around like you're nothing, like you're worthless, and maybe in and of yourself you're nothing, but in Christ you have unlimited value in Christ. What an incredible blessing. Which brings us to our next reminder this morning, and that is this. Not only do we need to know our hope that is in Christ, I want you to see secondly, we need to know our value that is in Christ. He says, I want you to know what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints, the value that is yours in him. Psalms 139 verse 40, 14 says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are valuable 
let me say this, in Christ. Your value is not in your heritage. Your value is not in your net worth. Your value is not in your beauty. Your value is not in your stamina. Your value is not in your character. Your value is wholly and completely rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you are not in Christ, you might have reason to feel worthless. Because all of our value is not our own. But it is rather the value that has been puted into us by Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would know our value. Our worth is not based on our beauty. Our worth is not based on our financial status. Our worth is not based on our power. Our worth is not based on our 401k or where we fall in the flow chart at our organization. I want to remind you today that your worth is based on your birth in Christ. That is where your value comes from. That is where your worth comes from. That is where the riches, the value of this comes from. And much like the Apostle Paul was praying for the church at Ephesus, so I am a pastor at Ambassador Baptist Church. I'm praying for each and every one of you as individuals. I'm praying for your families. I'm praying for this church corporately because I'm afraid that even in this congregation, there are Christians and your eyes are still blinded. You may academically understand that there is hope. You may intellectually understand that there's value in Christ, but it is not part of your lifestyle. It's not part of the functional practical outflowing of your life it's not the way you live monday through saturday you live like you're worthless you live in a position like you don't matter you you live in a state that christ would not have you to live in he has something better lastly has there ever been a time in your life where you just felt weak You, you knew what you needed to be as a husband. But you did not feel that you had what it took to be a biblically centered husband. Or maybe we could flip it around as a wife. You felt weak to be the mom that you know God wanted you to be. You just felt like you couldn't do it. You, you, knew, what, you knew what you were supposed to be based on God's word, but you felt weak. Maybe some of you at your workplace, you've been given new responsibilities and you feel overwhelmed like you don't have what it takes to make this thing happen. Some of you are trying to juggle family and you're juggle schooling and you're juggling all these responsibilities and in your flight, you just feel weak. You just are, you feel like you do not have what it takes to tackle the task at hand. You feel weak. And I want to remind you today, based on the authority of the word of God, that in Christ, you are already strong. It is not something God is going to give you. You don't have to pray, God, give me your strength. He's already given it to you. The question is, are you going to appropriate? Are you going to take it? Are you going to receive it? Are you going to actualize it in your daily life? Just like me. I could have taken those cookies, those uh, little treats anytime. They were already mine. I could have taken them, uh, but I didn't know it. And some of you don't realize that the strength you need to face the challenges you're going to have to face tomorrow is already yours. By faith, you could take it any time you so pleased. By faith, you could appropriate his grace for any challenge that faces you in the day ahead. Not in your own strength 
but in Christ's. It's already yours. You say, ah, let me see that from the Bible, Pastor. Let's do it. Notice verse 19. He says that ye might know, verse 18, and going into verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. Man, notice those words. The exceeding greatness of his power to usward. He's saying, I've got exceeding power for you. I've got great strength for you. I've got everything you need, and it, it's yours. In Christ, and Paul is praying, God, please open their eyes. Help them to realize that this possession is already theirs because of their position in Jesus Christ. And he's praying, I don't want them just to not know this intellectually, academically, cognitively. I want them to know this functionally, experientially, practically in their daily lifestyle. I want them to know it deep down because they've lived it, because they've experienced it for themselves. That's what Paul's praying. I need their eyes to be open. And today, Ambassador Baptist Church, we need to allow the Spirit of God to open our eyes that in Christ we are valuable, that in Christ we are strong, in Christ we have hope. Anything that faces us tomorrow, we already have the power and the strength to face regardless of what that might mean. You say, well, what type of power is this? In the next three verses, the Apostle Paul begins to describe the type of power that this is. He says, which he wrought, which power he wrought in Christ, this is verse 20, when he raised him from the dead. How many of you would say that took some pretty incredible power to raise Jesus from the dead? How many of you would agree? I think most of us would say, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty powerful to raise Jesus from the dead. That's pretty awesome. And God says, that's the power that's already yours in Christ. But it doesn't stop there. And the power that set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. That power that set him far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in the world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, you want to know what type of power has been entrusted to you? You want to know what power you already possess in Christ? He says the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. That's your power the same power that caused him to ascend to the right hand of the father that's your power in christ the same power that gave christ dominion and gave him power over everything on this world everything on this planet every dominion every might every power and gave christ the strength and authority over it all that power is your power that is what you possess in christ and some of you don't know it You know it. You know it. But you don't know it. Intellectual, yes. Experiential, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Cognitively, yes. Check the box. I went to that institute. I already learned that. <laughs> Cognitively, maybe. Practically, sometimes. And the Apostle Paul is praying for us. He's praying for the church. 
the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. He's praying for the church. He's praying for us. And so I pray for our church. I pray for me. I pray for you that we would get it. That we would get that all the hope we've ever needed is not going to be found in these lesser things, but our hope is going to be found in Jesus that our value is not going to be found in our net worth and how quickly we can climb the corporate ladder or how many toys we can stuff into our garage, but ultimately our value will not be found in those lesser things, but our value will be found in Christ, regardless of whether or not these other things ever become a part of our existence or our portfolios. That we would know the power that is ours the power that rose Jesus from the dead, the power that ascended him to the right hand of the Father, the power that gave him strength over principalities and dominions and mights and authorities and kings. And Paul says, I pray that you would know that is now your power because you are now in Christ and Christ is in you. If you want to write this down, you may. You don't just have similar power. You have the same power. Why? Because you are not your own anymore. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. His power, your power, your weakness, his strength. You say, I'm just struggling with temptation, and I fear I'll never get over it. You're believing a lie. I understand the flesh struggles, but it doesn't have to. There's victory for you, my friend. I struggle in my marriage. I I know we're in the world and we're in the flesh. We got the flesh, the devil, and all this. I understand that, but it doesn't have to be. You have a power because Christ is in you and you are in Christ. A strength that maybe you've never accessed before is already yours. Not something you're working toward. Not something you have to attain. Not something you have to do. It's yours by faith. His grace. Yours. Know your power. Um, do we have any electricians in here? I know we have a couple electricians. Or anybody just does a little electrical work? Some of us maybe electrician of sorts, and there's a few of you, and you mess around uh, with electricity. I told you a few weeks ago I, I'm not very mechanically inclined, and uh, working with electricity has, not, has been something I've never dared to do. I, I fear the consequences of it uh, far too greatly uh, to play around with my own life in, in that manner. Uh, I, I have made much, much uh, horrible things with, on much smaller projects. I can only imagine what damage I could do if I started messing around with such great power. <laughs> so I've, ne- I've never messed with it. But some of you have. You know how to work. Elect- you're, you're kind of an electrician of sorts and things. Um, we all know electricians. We know what they do. Um, if we were to imagine for a moment for the sake of illustration, we got an electrician here and then over here, uh, let me put a an electric eel. How many of you have kind of maybe back in school or science you studied the electric eel? You know what the difference between an electrician is and an electric eel? Well, they're, they're both kind of into electricity, right? Is that, what kind of, is that the common denominator? One knows how to kind of manipulate power, electricity, electric, electrical power and electrical currents. The other one lives by it. I think there's a lot of Christians, and every once in a while, we know how to kind of manipulate, we know how to kind of, oh, get God's power, we're kind of like an electrician who kind of knows how to, I can steer it a little this way, maybe sometimes, and sometimes I have no clue what to do, it just, you know, 
And then there's the electric eel, and that, it's, it's, the, it's the source of, of, of everything. And all that we would be the type of Christians that aren't just manipulating this or that, but it's the very essence of what flows and drives the very being of our life. In Matthew, Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Jesus said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. Get what Jesus is saying. Have you seen the miracles? You've seen the great works? You've seen the obstacles I've overcome? The great things I have done, my people shall do greater works than these also. And he goes on, Philippians 4, 13. He says to us, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. In Christ, you have far more strength than you realize. The strength to overcome temptation. The strength, the emotional strength to make amends with that person who bothers you. The relational strength to live at peace with someone who is being your enemy. You possess that strength in Christ to be cordial and gracious and kind and loving and prayerful toward that person that drives you nuts is already yours in the person of Jesus Christ. You possess it whether you realize it or not. The strength to overcome temptation is already yours. The strength to take on the challenges that lie in front of you is already yours in Christ. My friend, God's power is greater than any military force. It's greater than any force of nature, greater than any military regime. His power is greater than any nation or world power. His power is greater than any king, any prime minister, or any president. His power is greater than any fear. His power is greater than any doubt. His his power is greater than any weakness. His power is greater than any past temptation. His power is greater than any present brokenness. His power is greater than any future circumstance that you will come up against. My friend, life is only exhausting when you try to live it in your own power because in Christ, you already possess the strength you need to carry on. And when you find yourself exhausted and tired, it might be a sign It might be the Holy Spirit trying to tell you you're doing this one on your own. You're not abiding in me. You're not spending time at the the source of strength. You're not getting your strength by abiding in me. You're trying to do this on your own and giving me the credit and, and you're, you know, kind of telling people around you you're given the, you're given the, praise to God but deep down you're just doing it and that's why you're exhausted and that's why you're tired and that's why you're just fed up in Christ I want to remind you you already have the victory I hope this will resonate with you like it did with me but if you are God's child there is no enemy you will face that hasn't already been defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ If you're God's child, there is no enemy, no obstacle 
No trial that you will ever face that hasn't already been defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ. And so I, with the Apostle Paul, I am praying for us. I'm praying for me. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for us corporately as a church that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that all this information that we have rattling around in our heads would move beyond just cognitive, intellectual academia, but it would become the functional, practical outflow of our everyday experiential lives, that we would not just know that we have hope, but that we would experience his hope, that we would not just know that we're valuable, that we would experience that worth and that value in Christ and Christ alone, that we would not just quote verses like Philippians, Philippians 4.13, but that we would live verses like Philippians 4.13, knowing that in Christ there is all hope, in Christ there is all value, and that in Christ there is all strength in him. That is your possession because of your position in Christ. Being absolutely convinced of these realities that the Apostle Paul just spoke about. Can I say this? Will have incredible, massive ramifications on your everyday life. If you allow these truths and these realities to seep down deep into your soul, I'm saying to you today, it will change the way you father. It will change the way you mother. It will change the way you parent. It'll change the way you engage and interact in your marriage. It will change the way you interact with your friends. It'll change the way you interact with your enemies. It'll change the way you interact with your coworkers. It'll change the way you engage your church. It's one thing to academically, cognitively, intellectually know it kind of on this level. But when it starts to be an experiential, practical, functional outflow of your everyday life, it changes everything. But you can, only Christ through you can. And that's why we need to go to the source. In order to truly know from a wisdom functional standpoint, the Spirit will often lead us to do a couple of things. I find that people who really functionally know this on an experiential level, there's some things the Spirit leads them practically if you want to write a couple things down and we'll we'll be done. People who really functionally know God and know his possession and experience his hope and his value and his worth and his strength and his power on a very practical, real, functional level. One, the Spirit often leads them to create margin to walk with God. If your life is so busy that you do not have margin for God, you're not experiencing this. You might intellectually, cognitively, academically know it, but you're not experiencing it if if the Spirit of God is not creating margin in your life to walk with Him, to abide with Him, to spend time with Him, to, to meditate, to pray, to just bask in the joy of who He is, to relate with Him on a regular, constant basis. Oh, people who really know and experience His worth and His hope and His strength The Spirit leads them to create margin. And and this is hard because we live in a busy, busy world. And everything in this world is going to fight against that margin in your lives. But you're not going to experience, your eyes are not going to be enlightened in a practical, functional, experiential sense. The Spirit doesn't create some margin for you to regularly walk with God and walk in His Word. In order to truly know the Spirit, the The Spirit will lead us to pray this prayer. Lord, open thou mine eyes. Pray it. 
and believe that God can answer that prayer. God, open my eyes. Let my eyes be enlightened. Let me experience this for myself. I've enjoyed watching it lived out in this person and watched it lived out in that person. But God, it's time that I experience this for myself. I want to talk to the teenagers and the young people in this room. It's about time that some of you stop riding the coattails of your parents' religion and start making this faith your own. Personally creating margin and time with God. Walking with him for yourself. Learning to enjoy his presence for yourself. Seeing God answer your prayers, not just the prayers of your parents, not just the prayers of people at your church, but your prayers. Experience this thing for yourself. I I remind you what Paul reminded the young Timothy, let no man despise your youth. You can be an example to the believers. Pray, open my eyes, have faith to believe God will answer that prayer. And then in order to truly know, oftentimes the Spirit will lead us to meditate regularly on these possessions that are already ours in Christ. This is something you're going to have to remind yourself by faith every day because tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and the, the enemy's going to try to steal this away from you. He's going to try to steal away from you the hope that is already yours in Christ. He's going to try to steal away from you the worth that you can experience in Christ and Christ alone and he's going to leave you feeling worthless. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to be convinced that you don't have the strength and the power that it takes to face the challenges that lie before you that day. And so tomorrow morning, by faith, you're going to have to wake up again, open up this word, and remind yourself afresh and anew that in Christ you have what it takes to face the future. I want to encourage you to live by faith in the reality that these possessions are already yours, not based on your talent, not based on how moral you are, not based on your, uh, how, how long you've been a Christian, that these possessions are already yours based on your position in Christ. And I would say to you very carefully, if you are here today and you are not in Christ, if you are here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus and Jesus alone, if you don't know what it means to have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, if you've never put your faith in his death, his burial, in his resurrection, I would beg you to seriously consider accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Because though I have not dove into it today, that outside of Christ, there really is no worth. There really is no point. It truly is hopeless. There is not strength. There's what you can muster up for a moment. There's what you can do in a second. But not internal, enduring, permanent hope, worth, and strength. You see, if you're outside of Christ, then your hope is based on everything around you. And when things around you are going good, then your hope is going good. And when things around you are going bad, your hope fails. If you're outside of Christ, then when everybody around you tells you you're important, you feel important. When they tell you you're beautiful, you feel beautiful. When they tell you you're something else, then you feel good. But all of a sudden, the social mirror and the peers around you start to convince you that you're not. And, and if you're outside of Christ, then, then your emotional state is anchored to the flailing winds of peer pressure and, and social uh, influences. You have no rock to stand on. If you're outside of Christ, the best you can hope for is whatever your character can muscle up. And for some of you, it's more than others. But at some point, every one of us fail in the flesh. And it's just a matter of time. Your hope 
your strength and your worth is in Christ. And if you're outside of Christ, I would implore you, would you consider, would you look into, would you begin to think about what it means to live a life in Christ? To accept and commit your life to him and him alone to be your Lord and Savior. Because that is your hope. Not a, greater, not a better job, not a more intimate relationship, not more money or cooler toys. Your hope is Jesus. Your need is Jesus. And I want to say to you as I close today, Jesus is enough. Christ is enough. Everything you will ever need has already been provided to you in the person of Jesus. And so I say to you again, run to his presence because Christ is everything you need and in Christ is everything you need because Christ and Christ alone is enough. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.